Chapter Twenty of France and England in North America, Part Three: La Salle Discovery of the Great West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. France and England in North America, Part Three: La Salle Discovery of the Great West by Francis Parkman Jr. Chapter Twenty, Sixteen Eighty One to Sixteen Eighty Two, Success of La Salle. The season was far advanced. On the bare limbs of the forest hung a few withered remnants of its gay autumnal livery, and the smoke crept upward through the sullen November air from the squalid wigwams of La Salle's Abenaki and Mohegan allies. These, his new friends, were savages whose midnight yells had startled the border hamlets of New England, who had danced around Puritan scalps, and whom Puritan imaginations painted as incarnate fiends. La Salle chose eighteen of them, whom he added to the twenty-three Frenchmen who remained with him, some of the rest having deserted, and others lagged behind. The Indians insisted on taking their squaws with them, these were ten in number, besides three children, and thus the expedition included fifty-four persons, of whom some were useless, and others a burden. On the 21st of December, Tanti and Membre set out from Fort Miami with some of the party in six canoes, and crossed to the little river Chicago. La Salle, with the rest of the men, joined them a few days later. It was the dead of winter, and the streams were frozen. They made sledges, placed on them the canoes, the baggage, and a disabled Frenchman, crossed from the Chicago to the northern branch of the Illinois, and filed in a long procession down its frozen course. They reached the site of the great Illinois village, found it tenantless, and continued their journey, still dragging their canoes, till at length they reached open water below Lake Peoria. La Salle had abandoned for a time his original plan of building a vessel for the navigation of the Mississippi. Bitter experience had taught him the difficulty of the attempt, and he resolved to trust to his canoes alone. They embarked again, floating prosperously down between the leafless forests that flanked the tranquil river, till, on the 6th of February, they issued upon the majestic bosom of the Mississippi. Here, for the time, their progress was stopped, for the river was full of floating ice. La Salle's Indians, too, had lagged behind, but within a week all had arrived. The navigation was once more free, and they resumed their course. Towards evening they saw on their right the mouth of a great river, and the clear current was invaded by the headlong torrent of the Missouri, opaque with mud. They built their campfires in the neighboring forest, and at daylight, embarking anew on the dark and mighty stream, drifted swiftly down towards unknown destinies. They passed a deserted town of the Tamaroas, saw, three days after, the mouth of the Ohio, and gliding by the wastes of bordering swamp, landed on the 24th of February near the third Chickasaw Bluffs. They encamped, and the hunters went out for game. 
all returned except pierre prodome and as the others had seen fresh tracks of indians la salle feared that he was killed while some of his followers built a small stockade fort on a high bluff by the river others ranged the woods in pursuit of the missing hunter after six days of ceaseless and fruitless search they met two chickasaw indians in the forest and through them la salle sent presents and peace messages to that warlike people whose villages were a few days journey distant several days later prudhomme was found and brought into the camp half dead he had lost his way while hunting and to console him for his woes la salle christened the newly built fort with his name and left him with a few others in charge of it again they embarked and with every stage of their adventurous progress the mystery of this vast new world was more and more unveiled more and more they entered the realms of spring the hazy sunlight the warm and drowsy air the tender foliage the opening flowers betokened the reviving life of nature for several days more they followed the writhings of the great river on its tortuous course through wastes of swamp and canebrake till on the thirteenth of march they found themselves wrapped in a thick fog neither shore was visible but they heard on the right the booming of an indian drum and the shrill outcries of the war-dance la salle at once crossed to the opposite side where in less than an hour his men threw up a rude fort of felled trees meanwhile the fog cleared and from the farther bank the astonished indians saw the strange visitors at their work some of the french advanced to the edge of the water and beckoned them to come over several of them approached in a wooden canoe to within the distance of a gunshot la salle displayed the calumet and sent a frenchman to meet them he was well received and the friendly mood of the indians being now apparent the whole party crossed the river on landing they found themselves at a town of the kappa band of the arkansas a people dwelling near the mouth of the river which bears their name the whole village writes membre to his superior came down to the shore to meet us except the women who had run off i cannot tell you the civility and kindness we received from these barbarians who brought us poles to make huts supplied us with firewood during the three days we were among them and took turns in feasting us but my reverend father this gives no idea of the good qualities of these savages who are gay civil and free-hearted the young men though the most alert and spirited we had seen are nevertheless so modest that not one of them would take the liberty to enter our hut but all stood quietly at the door they are so well formed that we were in admiration at their beauty we did not lose the value of a pin while we were among them various were the dances and ceremonies with which they entertained the strangers who on their part responded with a solemnity which their hosts would have liked less if they had understood it better la salle and tanti at the head of their followers marched to the open area in the midst of the village here to the admiration of the gazing crowd of warriors women and children a cross was raised bearing the arms of france Mambre in canonicals sang a hymn the men shouted vive le roi 
and La Salle, in the king's name, took formal possession of the country. The friar, not, he flatters himself without success, labored to expound by signs the mysteries of the faith, while La Salle, by methods equally satisfactory, drew from the chief an acknowledgment of fealty to Louis the Fourteenth. After touching at several other towns of this people, the voyages resumed their course, guided by two of the Arkansas, passed the sites, since become historic, of Vicksburg and Grand Gulf, and, about three hundred miles below the Arkansas, stopped by the edge of a swamp on the western side of the river. Here, as their two guides told them, was the path to the great town of the Tainsas. Tanti and Membre were sent to visit it. They and their men shouldered their birch canoe through the swamp and launched it on a lake which had once formed a portion of the channel of the river. In two hours they reached the town, and Tanti gazed at it with astonishment. He had seen nothing like it in America. Large square dwellings, built of sun-baked mud mixed with straw, arched over with a dome-shaped roof of canes, and placed in regular order around an open area. Two of them were larger and better than the rest. One was the lodge of the chief, the other was the temple or house of the sun. They entered the former and found a single room, forty feet square, where, in the dim light, for there was no opening but the door, the chief sat awaiting them on a sort of bedstead, three of his wives at his side, while sixty old men, wrapped in white cloaks woven of mulberry bark, formed his divan. When he spoke, his wives howled to do him honor, and the assembled councillors listened with the reverence due to a potentate for whom, at his death, a hundred victims were to be sacrificed. He received the visitors graciously, and joyfully accepted the gifts which Tonti laid before him. This interview over, the Frenchmen repaired to the temple, wherein were kept the bones of the departed chiefs. In construction it was much like the royal dwelling. Over it were rude wooden figures, representing three eagles turned towards the east. A strong mud wall surrounded it, planted with stakes, on which were stuck the skulls of enemies sacrificed to the sun, while before the door was a block of wood on which lay a large shell surrounded with the braided hair of the victims. The interior was rude as a barn, dimly lighted from the doorway, and full of smoke. There was a structure in the middle which Mombre thinks was a kind of altar, and before it burned a perpetual fire, fed with three logs laid end to end, and watched by two old men devoted to this sacred office. There was a mysterious recess, too, which the strangers were forbidden to explore, but which, as Tonti was told, contained the riches of the nation, consisting of pearls from the gulf, and trinkets obtained, probably through other tribes, from the Spaniards and other Europeans. The chief condescended to visit La Salle at his camp, a favor which he would by no means have granted had the visitors been Indians. A master of ceremonies and six attendants preceded him, to clear the path and prepare the place of meeting. When all was ready, he was seen advancing, clothed in a white robe, and preceded by two men bearing white fans, while a third displayed a disc of burnished copper. 
doubtless to represent the son, his ancestor, or, as others will have it, his elder brother. His aspect was marvellously grave, and he and La Salle met with gestures of ceremonious courtesy. The interview was very friendly, and the chief returned well pleased with the gifts which his entertainer bestowed on him, and which indeed had been the principal motive of his visit. On the next morning, as they descended the river, they saw a wooden canoe full of Indians, and Tanti gave chase. He had nearly overtaken it, when more than a hundred men appeared suddenly on the shore, with bows bent to defend their countrymen. La Salle called out to Tanti to withdraw. He obeyed, and the whole party encamped on the opposite bank. Tanti offered to cross the river with a peace-pipe, and set out accordingly with a small party of men. When he landed, the Indians made signs of friendship by joining their hands, a proceeding by which Tanti, having but one hand, was somewhat embarrassed, but he directed his men to respond in his stead. La Salle and Mambre now joined him, and went with the Indians to their village, three leagues distant. Here they spent the night. The Sieur de La Salle, writes Mambre, whose very air, engaging manners, tact, and address, attract love and respect alike, produced such an effect on the hearts of these people that they did not know how to treat us well enough. The Indians of this village were the Natchez, and their chief was brother of the great chief, or son, of the whole nation. His town was several leagues distant, near the site of the city of Natchez, and thither the French repaired to visit him. They saw what they had already seen among the Tainsas, a religious and political despotism, a privileged caste descended from the sun, a temple, and a sacred fire. La Salle planted a large cross, with the arms of France attached, in the midst of the town, while the inhabitants looked on with a satisfaction which they would hardly have displayed had they understood the meaning of the act. The French next visited the Coroas at their village two leagues below, and here they found a reception no less auspicious. On the 31st of March, as they approached Red River, they passed in the fog a town of the Umas, and three days later discovered a party of fishermen, in wooden canoes, among the canes along the margin of the water. They fled at sight of the Frenchmen. La Salle sent men to reconnoitre, who, as they struggled through the marsh, were greeted with a shower of arrows while from the neighboring village of the Quinipissas, invisible behind the cane break, they heard the sound of an Indian drum and the whoops of the mustering warriors. La Salle, anxious to keep the peace with all the tribes along the river, recalled his men and pursued his voyage. A few leagues below they saw a cluster of Indian lodges on the left bank, apparently void of inhabitants. They landed, and found three of them filled with corpses. It was a village of the Tangabeo, sacked by their enemies only a few days before. And now they neared their journey's end. On the 6th of April the river divided itself into three broad channels. La Salle followed that of the west, and Dautre that of the east, while Tanti took the middle passage. As he drifted down the turbid current between the low and marshy shores, the brackish water changed to brine, and the breeze grew fresh with the salt breath of the sea. 
then the broad bosom of the great gulf opened on his sight tossing its restless billows limitless voiceless lonely as when born of chaos without a sail without a sign of life la salle in a canoe coasted the marshy borders of the sea and then the reunited parties assembled on a spot of dry ground a short distance above the mouth of the river here a column was made ready bearing the arms of france and inscribed with the words louis le grand roi de france et de navarre reine le neuvième avril mille six cent quatre-vingt-deux the frenchmen were mustered under arms and while the new england indians and their squaws looked on in wondering silence they chanted the to diem the exodiat and the domini salvum fac regem then amid volleys of musketry and shouts of vive le roi la salle planted the column in its place and standing near it proclaimed in a loud voice in the name of the most high mighty invincible and victorious prince louis the great by the grace of god king of france and of navarre fourteenth of that name i this ninth day of april one thousand six hundred and eighty-two in virtue of the commission of his majesty which i hold in my hand and which may be seen by all whom it may concern have taken and do now take in the name of his majesty and of his successors to the crown possession of this country of louisiana the seas harbors ports bays adjacent straits and all the nations peoples provinces cities towns villages mines minerals fisheries streams and rivers within the extent of the said louisiana from the mouth of the great river st louis otherwise called the ohio as also along the river colbert or mississippi and the rivers which discharge themselves thereinto from its source beyond the country of the Nadouasu, as far as its mouth at the sea, or Gulf of Mexico, and also to the mouth of the River of Palms, upon the assurance we have had from the natives of these countries that we are the first Europeans who have descended or ascended the said river Colbert, hereby protesting against all who may hereafter undertake to invade any or all of these aforesaid countries peoples or lands to the prejudice of the rights of his majesty acquired by the consent of the nations dwelling herein of which and of all else that is needful i hereby take to witness those who hear me and demand an act of the notary here present shouts of vive le roi and volleys of musketry responded to his words then a cross was planted beside the column and a leaden plate buried near it bearing the arms of france with a latin inscription ludovicus magnus regnat the weather-beaten voyagers joined their voices in the grand hymn of the vexilla regis the banners of heaven's king advance the mystery of the cross shines forth and renewed shouts of vive le roi closed the ceremony on that day the realm of france received on parchment a stupendous accession the fertile plains of texas the vast basin of the mississippi from its frozen northern springs to the sultry borders of the gulf from the woody ridges of the alleghanies to the bare peaks of the rocky mountains 
a region of savannas and forests, sun-cracked deserts and grassy prairies, watered by a thousand rivers, ranged by a thousand warlike tribes, passed beneath the sceptre of the Sultan of Versailles, and all by virtue of a feeble human voice, inaudible at half a mile. End of chapter 20